Amen. Amen. Thank you for uh, that welcome. Um, it's always good to be uh, in the house here at Epiphany Brooklyn. This is my third time being up here with you guys. And so I feel like I'm getting comfortable, too comfortable in the pulpit a little bit. Um, I'm starting to realize that I think Pastor Brandon is setting me up because Gabe and I were talking uh, a second earlier and he reminded me the last time I was here was right after the election. And now I'm back right after Charlottesville. And so I'm, I'm starting to think that Pastor Brandon purposely leaves so I can preach very difficult messages. <laughs> um, I, I had something I was going to preach uh, that I had been thinking through all week. And last night the Lord said I couldn't. And um, so today we're going to be in a little bit of a different text this morning than I had planned. Uh, so I, I pray that you be patient with me, work with me a little bit, um, and, and hopefully this will be a blessing for, for all of us. Um, so if you would, uh, could you open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read down through verse 9, Exodus chapter 6. Beginning in verse 1, we're going to read down through verse 9. I'm not sure, I don't remember how you guys do it here, but, but, but down at home in Philly, we stand as we read the word. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand, if, if, if you will. So I'm assuming we got some Philly people in the house. Okay, I hear you, I hear you. Uh, I'm going to get us started, and then I want you guys to jump in with me. Uh, again, from verse 1 down to verse 9. But the Lord replied to Moses... Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh because of a strong hand. He will let them go. And because of a strong hand, he will drive them out from, uh, from he will drive them from his land. Jump in with me. Verse two. Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, let's start that over again. Everybody, y'all jump in at verse two. Y'all ready to read? Y'all, y'all ESV? Oh, I'm sorry. My bad. My bad. My bad. It's on the screen. It, whatever version y'all in. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, wife. That's a helpmate right there. Come on, somebody. Brothers, you need to get yourself a helpmate. All right, I'm, I'm with you in the ESV. I'm sorry. Let's, let's, verse, verse 2, everybody all together. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. Keep reading.
Amen. The title of our message this morning is Silenced by a Broken Spirit. Silenced by a Broken Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we need you each and every day, but in a special way today, Lord, uh, we can honestly attest that these last few days have been hard, not because of the newness of the events, but because they just stick in our minds as another reminder of what things have always been like for many of us here. But your word gives us hope. In your word, there is peace. In your word, there is encouragement. In your word, there is comfort. In your word, there is joy. And so, Father, I pray that you would meet us where we are be because of your word, that we might see it, that we might read it, that it might become a part of us, that it might be engrafted into our hearts, and that it might change our, our minds. And so, God, we pray all of these things in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 You may be seated. The year was 1963, it was April 16th, and Martin Luther King Jr. found himself sitting behind bars in a Birmingham jail when he penned these words that, if I'm honest, sounds like he wrote them yesterday. He said this, Lamentably, it is a historical fact that privileged groups seldom give up their privileges voluntarily. We know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. For years now, I have heard the word wait. It rings in the ear of every Negro with piercing familiarity. This wait has always almost, has almost always meant never. We must come to see with one of our Distinguished jurists that justice too long delayed is justice denied. We have waited for more than 340 years for our constitutional and God-given rights. Perhaps it is easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait. There comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over and men are no longer willing to be plunged into the abyss of despair. I hope, sirs, you can understand our legitimate and unavoidable impatience. These words he wrote as he experienced and understood what he had been experiencing as he went to different places to march and to protest. And that was the silence of who he thought were his brothers in Christ. Oftentimes conservative white pastors who would tell him to wait a little longer and things would just work out. And he was tired of waiting because he knew his people were tired of waiting and what's interesting about the black experience here in America and oftentimes what we see in the Bible is there's a lot of overlap between the black experience and Israel. And sometimes we make the mistake of inserting ourselves as Israel. And so while, while we walk through this passage, I want you to keep in mind that there are many overlapping uh, characteristics between what the Israelites went through in Egypt and how God delivered them. But yet, that is not our story. Does that make sense? Amen. How do we get here in, in, in chapter 6? Well, in, in chapter 1 of Exodus, the Bible says that a new pharaoh had risen up in Egypt, and he looked out amongst the, the Israelites, and he saw this group of people that didn't look like him, that outnumbered his people, and he immediately feared them. It says that he feared them so much, he said, if we go to war, 
This group of people will not side with us, but they will join our enemies and they will defeat us and they will ruin us as a nation. So instead of building deep relationship with them and instead of trying to create a loving atmosphere of loyalty and trust, he said, let's oppress them. Let's let's beat them down and let's appoint taskmasters over them so that they can serve us in our agenda. So this happens for a while. And then the people of Israel despite all of the oppression that they face, continue to grow and multiply. And so Pharaoh says, well, you know what we have to do? We have to now attack their men. We have to make sure that they are no marriable men eligible for women to receive and they can't have children. So let's kill all of the newborn boys. So they go about making a massacre in Israel. And he tells the midwives, midwives, when you see a girl come out, that's cool. We all right with that. But if you see a boy, kill it. The Bible says that they feared God, so they didn't do that. And women continued to have little boys and little girls. And so eventually Pharaoh had to go to his own people and start this slaughter up. Chapter 2, we get to the introduction of this little Levi boy named Moses. His mother has him and hides him and ships him off. And for some reason, he ends up in Pharaoh's home because of Pharaoh's daughter. God makes it about so that his mom is the one who's called in to nurse him. And raise him up. Then we get to chapter 3. Moses kills an Egyptian and has to flee for his life. Goes out to Midian. Finds himself a wife. And then somewhere out there, God calls him back home through this, this, this interaction with a burning bush. So God calls him back home after a little bit of argument back and forth. Moses is like, I can't speak. I'm not good. I'm not a good communicator. I don't know what you want me to do. And God says, I I don't need you. I'm just using you. Go. And so he gets back home. He meets up with his brother Aaron. They talk to the Israelites. Everybody's excited. And then they go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, I mean, Moses says to Pharaoh, God says to let us go out and, and worship. And Pharaoh says, well, if you have so much time to worship this God, then you're not doing enough work. So the Bible says that he oppressed them even more. And made their labor even more difficult. And so now Moses in chapter 5, at the end of chapter 5, is in a little argument with God. And it says this. It says, says, ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has caused trouble for this people and you haven't rescued your people at all. Have you ever felt yourself there where God told you to do something and you weren't sure about it? And he told you to go anyway, and then you were obedient, and things just got worse. I don't know about you, but sometimes I I think in my mind, God, obedience should mean things should get better. It's hard enough to obey as it is. So when I do obey, how do you reward me with difficulty? That just doesn't seem fair. And so... God begins to respond back to Moses here in chapter 6. And it's interesting that God first has to communicate some things to Moses that he's already been saying to him multiple times. In verse 2, he says, Tell them I am the Lord, that I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your ancestors. But they knew me, but not the way that I'm revealing myself to you now. See, they knew me as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they didn't know me as the Lord, as Yahweh, as I am who I am. There were were parts of who I was that they didn't get to know that I'm now allowing you to see. 
He says, tell them that, that this is who I am, that I established my, com- my covenant with them, that I'm going to give them a land once I redeem them. And, and then he says in verse 6, tell the Israelites this. Right Now, now listen, because this is, this is crazy to me. He says, tell them, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment, I will take you as my people. I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the forced labor of of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. It's interesting that, that, that God wants Moses to communicate to this people what he's going to do, not what Moses is going to do. He says, can you imagine this, that being in probably the most difficult season of your life, where nothing seems to be going right, where the oppressors are oppressing you and there's nothing you can do about it, and God himself enters in and says, I myself am going to save you. Like, that's, that's a personal God. That is a God who's not negligent. That is a God who is not unconcerned with your hurt and with your brokenness and with your pain. He says to them, I will do these things. I will bring you out. I will redeem you. I will take you. I will be your God. I will bring you a God. I will give you this land. And he bookends these great, wonderful promises with I am the Lord. Now, I remember the first time I ever read this passage and I got to verse nine and it blew my mind. You would imagine that when God digs deep And he expresses his deep love and care for you when he expresses his desire to save you and that he's not going to do it by anybody's hand but his own, that you would see that and you would have to respond. That there's just something about God speaking directly to you and saying that I'm going to save you by my own hand that would cause you to respond. And they did respond. And look, what, look how they responded. Verse 9. It says, Moses told this to the Israelites. He communicated these wonderful promises that God was, of what God was going to do to them and for them. And it says, but they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and hard labor. They had been so beaten down for so long that they couldn't even receive the promises of God. They had been so discouraged and so abused, and so taken advantage of, and so hopeless that they couldn't even hear all of what God was saying he was going to do for them. Now, what's interesting is, just in chapter 4, there was a completely different response from the people. Beginning at verse 29, it says, Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron repeated everything the Lord had said to Moses and performed the signs Before the people, these signs were, God said, listen, if you go there and you tell them this and they don't believe you, I want you to take your staff and I want you to throw it down on the ground and it's going to become a snake. And then I want you to take your hand and pick it up by the tail. Now, I don't know if you guys watch Discovery Channel, but I watch a lot of Discovery Channel. The worst place you're supposed to pick a snake up from is where? The tail. So he says, I want you to pick it up by the tail and it's going to turn back into a staff. You know, you might have some people there that still don't believe you, so I want you to take your hand and put it inside of your cloak, and you're going to pull it out again, and it's going to be like white as snow, like leprosy, a type of skin disease. 
And then you're going to put it back in your cloak and bring it back out again. And it's going to be just like the rest of your skin. Just in case they don't believe you the first two times, I'm going to have you go and get some water from the Nile River and then drop it on the ground and it's going to turn into blood. All of these signs, just so they would believe. So Moses goes, he does the sign, and and then the Bible says the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had paid attention to them and that he had seen their misery, they knelt low and worshiped. Two chapters earlier, they saw these great signs of God. And it says that they believed, they felt like God was with them, like God had heard their cries, that God had come near to their pain and God was going to do something. And it says that their response was worship. And then all of a sudden, some more oppression came. Some more difficulty came. Some more hardship came. And they said, you know what? Maybe this God really doesn't care. Maybe this God really doesn't hear us. Maybe he's just going to get our hopes up to let us down again. So they get here, Moses communicates just the beauty of of God's promises. I will redeem you. I will save you. You are my people. I will be your God. I'm going to do this by my hand. There's nothing that Pharaoh can do about it. But they've experienced so much brokenness and so much hurt and so much oppression. They've experienced people not fighting for them on their behalf so often that they can't even hear the promises of God. Maybe that's where some of you are today. I've seen the videos of men plowing through crowds of people in a car. I've seen the videos of men being shot while their arms are handcuffed behind their backs. I've seen the videos of mothers weeping and crying because their sons were playing with toy guns in the middle of a park and never made it home. I've seen the videos. You know, I've read the history books and seen the documentaries of all that my ancestors went through, our ancestors went through, just to survive. The grueling life of work in hot fields, picking cotton, being beaten, being lynched, being martyred, being enslaved, being raped, Our bodies have been beaten. Our egos have been bruised. Our hearts have been broken. And I think sometimes we get to a point where we're so in despair that we can't even hear the promises of God. It's hard to come on a Sunday morning after a weekend of Charlottesville and hear somebody proclaim the good news of the gospel. When is this good news going to change something? Do we have to wait until a future glory for things to be right? Do we have to wait until God returns to experience justice? How long do we have to wait? Sometimes it's hard to see all that happens around us and what we've experienced and believe God when he says, I will deliver you. It's interesting that The Lord spoke to Moses in verse 10 after Moses tells this to the Israelites and Moses or God tells Moses, "Okay, now go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go from this land. So go communicate to Israel that I'm going to redeem them, that I'm going to save them, 
that I'm going to be their God. They're going to be my people. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. Tell them this and then go directly to Pharaoh and tell them to let this people go. It says that Moses responds and says in the presence of the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, then how will Pharaoh listen to me? Since I am such a poor speaker. Now, I, I would think that that's an appropriate response. Like, God, how are you going to go tell me to go to Pharaoh, the king, to tell him to let the people go? And even the people don't believe you're going to redeem them. If the people don't have any hope of being redeemed and being saved, why should I go tell Pharaoh? Pharaoh's going to look at the people and say, well, they don't even want to go. Why should I say anything if my own people don't believe you when you say that you're going to redeem them? And it's, it's interesting. I love God's response. He doesn't even answer Moses' question. He doesn't even argue back and forth with him and reassert or retell and re-explain his character or reissue a declaration of his love and what he's going to do. All he does is tell Moses to go and tell the king of Egypt that he's going to deliver them from his hand. It says that, it says, then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them commands concerning both the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. And so God hears Moses' complaints. He hears Moses' complaints. He says, God, you, you done made these big promises. The people won't hear me. Why do you want me to go to Pharaoh? And God says, go to Pharaoh, like I told you. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting because in these difficult moments, I feel, I feel like God's response to Moses is him trying to show us that he's working beyond our feelings. That he's He's working beyond our lack of faith that things are going to change. That God is working beyond our insecurities of thinking that we can do anything to help bring about change. He says, Moses, I hear you. I hear the people when they said that they don't believe me. I hear you when you say that you don't want to go to Pharaoh because the people won't listen to you either. I hear you when you say you're not a good speechwriter and you can't communicate like everybody else can. I hear you, but guess what? I'm God and I don't care. He said, none of those objections are going to stop me from doing what I'm going to do. Pharaoh's not big enough. Pharaoh's not strong enough. Your doubt is not great enough. Your insufficiencies cannot get in my way. There is absolutely nothing on earth or in heaven that will stop me from doing what I want to do when it comes to saving my people. But I, I, I know it's easy to kind of put yourself in the shoes of the Israelites in this passage. Man, I've been broken. I've been hurting and I feel like I'm in despair and I need a word of encouragement. But I, I don't want you to do that today. I, I don't want you to identify with the Israelites right now. I, I want you to identify with Moses. I want you to identify as a, as a man as a, as, a, as a vessel that God has called to bring about change. A man who is insecure 
and his talents and in his gifts, insecure about how God would use him or could use him, fearful of his own people and what they might say, and obviously fearful of the opposition. But you know what? God is looking for some Moseses. He's looking for some people that are afraid and they're unsure of themselves, but are willing to be obedient. That are willing to go into a dark world where they feel like their people and the opposition are against them. There's too much brokenness to work through. There's too much anger and fear to work through. But God wants that person to go out on the streets and to proclaim that he is coming to save. Will that be you? Will that be me? Are we so focused on our own problems that we're not willing to be a light in a dark world? I know it hurts. I know you're angry. I'm angry too. But God is calling us not to be driven by our emotions, but to allow his word to dictate how we should feel. Now, I don't say that to minimize how we're feeling. Not at all. God is grieved by injustice. He is angered by oppression. But he wants to use us as people of light to speak into a fallen world. To say God, our God, is a saving God. And he's a saving God not just tomorrow, not just in the future, but he's a saving God right now. Our God demands righteousness and justice, not just tomorrow, but right now. Will you be Moses and be afraid and be insecure and be angry and still proclaim that your God saves right now? Despite how you feel, despite how people feel about you, will you go to them in obedience and say, God, my God, the king of heaven and earth, demands that righteousness and mercy and justice reign. So I don't want you to be the Israelite here. I want you to move beyond the pain that you're feeling. I want you to move beyond the discomfort that you're feeling. I want you to move beyond the insecurities that you're feeling and don't ignore them but say, God wants to use me and work in me and through me beyond them. Don't be silenced by a broken spirit. As a servant of the living God, you must expect opposition and misunderstanding. Because that's part of what it means to be a leader. And I don't know if you know it or not, but every single one of you in this room are leaders. And leaders must know how to get alone with God, pour out their hearts, and seek his strength and wisdom. Spiritual leaders must be bold before people but broken before God and must claim God, proclaim God's promises and do his will even when everything seems to be against them. Isaiah 1 verse 17 says, Learn to do good, to seek justice, to correct oppression, to bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. Jesus has much in common with Eric Garner and Philando Castile and Trayvon Martin. Jesus has much in common with the oppressed people of this world because he too was unjustly murdered by a system that was oppressed 
against him. He too was oppressed and marginalized and rejected because of who he was. He too was killed publicly for all to see and left as a reminder that you shouldn't speak out. But the reason that we still have hope today is because his story didn't end there, but because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know that he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. So what does this mean for us moving forward? I just got a few more things. This ain't going to be a long sermon today. I'm almost done. What does this mean for us moving forward? There are some action steps that I need us as a people to take, right? I, I, I love social media and how quickly it brings people together and brings about awareness. But this war is not going to be won with Facebook activism. It's not going to be won behind a computer screen or a tablet or a mobile phone. So here are some things that I, we need to be doing regularly. If we're going to be Moses, these are some things that we need to be doing. One, you need to begin attending community meetings. If you don't know when they are, you need to find out when they are and where they are. And you need to go. You know why? Because a lot of the fights of policies and a lot of the oppression that takes place gets talked about in these meetings. So it's difficult for us to say we want to serve our community and we want to bring about change and we don't know what's going on right here at home. So I don't know if you guys got block captains like we do in Philly, but find out who it is. Find out how you can get this information and get to those meetings so you can know what's happening in your neighborhood, in your city, and then you can be a voice to begin bringing, bringing about change and addressing it. Research your district, city, state representatives. Who, who, are your, who are your council people in your area? What policies do they adhere to? How do they regularly vote? What have they done to change the systemic nature of injustice in your neighborhoods? You know, we can talk in generalities. We can be angry with the policies. We can be angry with what's happening. But if we're not doing these things, these are simple things that everybody can do. And so if, you, if you've never shown up and you don't know who, what's going on and who these people are and what they stand for, that's the place we have to start. Number three, you got to vote. You got to vote. Now, we've been doing better at that. And it's not like we got a ton of great options. Amen? Amen? That means some of y'all may need to run. Listen, I had a conversation with my wife. I had a conversation with my wife. I'm no politician by any means. Don't want to be. But, but I told her, I feel like there's a day coming where, I, where I'm going to be forced to get involved in that way. Somebody has to do it because at some point in time, if we're voting, but we don't have good options to vote for, nothing's going to change. And so some of us as believers have to enter into that world. Some of us as believers have to have to change the direction and the course of what we thought our lives were going to look like. And that has to be us. Right. 
Support local social justice organizations. Who, who is doing groundwork already in the community? Listen, you don't got to agree with everything that they stand for to, to march with them and to fight with them about oppression and injustice. Five, engage the local police. That's going to be hard sometimes. I don't always like police. I myself haven't had great experience with police. But you know what I have to do? I have to go engage them and befriend them because somebody has to ask them questions about how they think when they see a black man walking on the street. And if they don't know any black people to talk to, any brown people to talk to, then they're going to stay the same. So we've got to engage them. We've got to find the ones that are trying to do the hard work but are kept quiet because they're a minority even in the system. We've got to pray with them and support them and encourage them. We've got to mentor somebody. Now, when I say mentor, I I don't mean you... Everybody doesn't have time to go into a local high school and mentor a group of young men or young women. But for many of us, we have a sphere of influence that involves at least a couple of young people. And and we've got to bring them in and engraft them into our lives so that there is somebody teaching them how to think, how to prepare for life, how to engage with police officers, how to be involved in their own community. We have to begin. Listen, I didn't have anybody when I was growing up teaching me how to think about the world outside of my little small dynamics as a young person and really not caring until it was too late. Right? And so we've got to do that. Number seven, you've got to speak out against racism and its practices. When you see it, you have to say something. You can't just let it slide by. You can't let people get away with it. You can't wait for somebody else to address them. I had a good friend of mine just yesterday that posted uh, uh, something to the effect that he was resharing something that said, this is not the America that I know. And I immediately posted under his, his page, this is the only America that I know. Now, I did that not to be confrontational, but to let him know that there are different perspectives of what America looks like and how America has treated its people. And to think that all of a sudden this country is somewhat different or not acting how it's been, we have to combat that. Right? And so we have to have hard conversations with family members and with friends, because if we don't do it, who's going to do it? And then lastly, we have to pray. Now, I put prayer last on purpose. Sometimes we have a tendency to only pray and not do anything else. And that's not how God works. God works through your prayers as you walk by faith to obey him. So you walk in faithful obedience as you pray and you see God work. So prayer is something we absolutely must be doing, but it's not the only thing we should be doing. Right? So begin attending community meetings, researching your district, city, and state representatives. Vote, support local social justice organizations, engage local police, mentor, speak out about racism and its practices, and pray. I know this is probably not what you came in here this Sunday expecting to hear. 
but it's necessary. It's necessary. And if you showed up this morning with a broken spirit and a hard heart, listen to me. God hears your pain. He sees your pain. But he also wants to use you beyond it. 